Lord Jesus Christ, you are here. Your presence is alive among your people. We pray that you would work in power, Jesus, that you would move in us, not because of our strength, but in our weakness. Let your glory shine through us. We submit ourselves to you in this hour, Lord, and pray, Lord, that you would sanctify us, purify us, transform us, that your kingdom might come in our lives as it is in heaven. Amen. Please be seated. Well, good morning again. Uh, Today is Ascension Sunday, so of course I want to preach about the Ascension, but before I do that, I want to preach about preaching just a little bit. I want to preach about preaching, all right? So here at St. Andrews, in this Anglican way of worship, uh, what we do here uh, every Sunday is designed from top to bottom to be participatory. It's something that we do together. So it's not at all like... um, you know, watching a show on television passively, uh, worship, we like to say, is the work of the people. So all the standing and kneeling, all the singing and praying together uh, and the call and response is meant to engage us because this is not like a concert. This is something, not something that we come to consume. Um, it's more like an orchestra. We're worship leaders, not the one doing the worshiping, right? Um, so... Since worship is the work of the people, what we're made to do, that's what we gather to do. And what I want to say this morning is that's even true about preaching. Even preaching is the work of the people. Now, I'm talking about it because that's counterintuitive. It's not what we would expect or think about, but it's true. So, um, you know, in our lives, we've been trained in many ways to be consumers And if we go to the movies, the question we ask is, um, was it good? Did I like it? But uh, when we come here, that's not the kind of thing that's happening. When we come to worship together, it's more like going to the doctor. Um, (laughs) Hopefully in a positive way. Um, I'll get to that. Uh, But it's more like we come in and if, if the doctor sees you and we do some exercises together, like we did, you know, with confession and all that, and the doctor has something to say to us, Um, The question isn't, do I like what the doctor has to say, although that matters. Uh, It's not even, do I learn something interesting from the doctor, though maybe you will. The question is, is something being said here that changes things for me? What do I need to do in response uh, to what I've heard today? Um, So uh, the service, the preaching, is like the work of the people. If you... um, have the greatest doctor in the world and you hear great information from the doctor, but your question is, do I like it? Instead of what do I need to do about it? It won't do you any good. Uh, We see this also uh, with preaching. I mean, if you think about it, like Jesus, I think it's safe to say, I feel very confident (laughs) saying that Jesus is the greatest preacher of all time. He's the living word of God after all. And yet, um, and, and people like to hear him preach, by the way, large crowds followed him, at least at first. But very few of them were actually changed by anything that he he said. It wasn't because anything was lacking in the message. It's because their hearts were hard. It's because they had ears but could not hear. Uh, the, The converse of that would be Jonah, right? He goes and preaches to a foreign people. His heart is not in it. There's no way he did a great job. <laughs> and yet, the thing breaks out in this incredible revival because the people's hearts were soft. So the point that I'm making is that preaching too is our work together. It's something that we do together. And if we don't do it together, 
no matter how good a sermon is, it won't have any impact on our lives. But even kind of a mediocre sermon, even if there's truth in it, has the possibility of being an opportunity for transformation. So the work is uh, the proclamation, but also to, to being prepared to ask the question, what does this mean for me? What does this change for me? God, what are you inviting me to do? It's not just an opportunity to gather some new facts and file them away. It's a confrontation with the truth of God that, that, that demands to be responded to. So that's our work. And let's do it together, okay? Let's do this together today. So we're going to practice preaching as the work of the people. I'm going to talk about the ascension. Uh, and I'm going to do two things. I'm going to offer an explanation and an invitation. I am going to give an explanation. What does it mean? What's it about? Why does it matter? So we can understand it. But we don't, we don't want to just stay there. We want to then move to thinking about what does this change for me? That's what the invitation is. What will be different in my life because of this? Where, what do I, where do I go from here? Where do we go from here? Okay. So that's enough about preaching. Let's do it. The explanation, the ascension. Okay. Uh, we read Acts chapter 1, and we, and we heard it in the gospel too. So we, we heard Scripture present this picture of, of, the, of the ascension. Um, but there are questions to be asked here. What exactly is going on? Why does it matter? Why is it important? Um, the, the summary statement for this is going to be, the ascension is not about Jesus leaving us. It's about God bringing heaven and earth together. The ascension is not about Jesus leaving us, but it's about God bringing heaven together and earth together. Now, I've got to make a case for this because what's obvious is that Jesus is leaving. Uh, I mean, clearly he goes away. If we pay attention to the things that he's been saying, he's been saying a lot of things like, um, I'm going to prepare a place for you. Uh, and uh, where I'm going, you can't follow me. And um, he's praying to God saying, Already, uh, no longer am I in the world. So he's been preparing his disciples for his departure. He's going to leave. But at the same time, he's been saying things like, um, I'll never leave you or forsake you. He's saying things like, I will be with you until the end of the age. And the disciples wrote that down by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit in Scripture after the ascension. They still believed that it was true even after Jesus was gone. So what's going on here? How can it be that Jesus talks like he's leaving, but also like he's not? And why in the world would he come back from the dead physically only to leave again, like just a few weeks later. That's pretty strange. Well, the answer to this riddle, uh, the key, the solution, is the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is how God will continue to be with his people, how Jesus will continue to be with his people, even after he's ascended. The Holy Spirit is how heaven and earth begin to come together. Um, Jesus, as he is ascending, he doesn't say a whole lot about the ascension itself. What he says to his people are, what's important, what you need to know, is the Holy Spirit is going to come. The Holy Spirit's coming. That's what matters. That's what matters. That's what's next. And so he links the ascension, what we're celebrating today, and Pentecost, which is what's coming up next week, very, very close together. Now, they're not two random events that are separate. They're deeply connected to each other. The going up of Christ and the coming down of the Holy Spirit. And we have to understand that the coming of the Holy Spirit is not like um, the B team showing up to clean up after the real work is done. It's not 
a babysitter coming to take care of the kids so the parents can go take a break, right? This is not a second-rate um, stand-in uh, that we have to deal with until mom and dad come back. The coming of the Holy Spirit is central to what Jesus accomplished through his death and resurrection. And he says this very clearly. He says, look, uh, if, it's good for you that I go away, because if I go away, the Spirit will come, but if I don't go, he won't. This is what needs to happen. It's, it's, it's the next step. Uh, but for us to understand fully why this is true, why uh, this is good for us, how this is bringing heaven and earth together, not just Jesus going away and leaving us uh, with, with someone else, um, we need to think about the bigger picture, the bigger scope of God's story. We need to think about temple. We need to talk about temple. So temple is the place where God and man come together. Temple is the place where God and man come together. And, and, and this theme of temple runs all the way through Scripture. So it begins in creation. In creation, Eden is like a temple. It's described that way. It's the place where uh, God and man live together. It's the place where heaven and earth get so close together that oh, at that point they overlap. It's the place where God's will is done, where the ways of heaven are lived on earth. And we see in Eden that this is not just a good thing, but it's how it's supposed to be. This is the right way for the world to exist. It's how it's intended to exist. It's what man is made for, to be with God, to live with God, and to have God's ways flow into him and through him and out of him into the world. But we know what happens. Um, instead of God's will being done on earth as it is in heaven, man says, my will be done. And he turns away from God. And so... Uh, man is driven out of God's presence. Heaven and earth seem to get a lot further apart. And the fallout of that is visible through the Old Testament um, all over the place. There's, there's so much suffering uh, and darkness as a result. But God does not give up on his people. He calls Israel to be his own, and he gives them once again his tabernacling presence. He gives them a building, a temple, literally, and he tells them to decorate it with pomegranates and palm trees. Why? Because it's pointing back to the garden. It's connecting to this place where God lived with his people in immediate proximity. And this is the new place where God's presence will dwell among his people. He will live among them. It's this place where heaven and earth once again get so close together that in that holy of holies place, they overlap. And he gives them the law. Why? Because where God is... The ways of heaven are poured out, that his ways might be done on earth as they are in heaven. And in this, the whole world will be blessed, because the temple in God's presence there isn't just for Israel. Israel itself is meant to be like a temple for the whole world, a place for the world to look and see God, to find him, to be drawn towards him, to come and be in his presence, to know him and take on his ways. But we know what happens again. Man says, my will be done. And they turn away from God, and God's presence leaves the temple. And again, the fallout is terrible and long. But God still does not give up on his people. He does a thing that we could not have imagined. The temple is the place where God and man come together. And so he sends Jesus. The Son, God the Son, comes. God's presence comes among human beings, but 
humanity and divinity are literally joined in Christ. Man and God. Jesus is fully God and man. He is the perfect temple. The place where God's will is finally done perfectly on earth as it is in heaven. He is the place wherever he goes, where heaven and earth have gotten so close together that they overlap. And just at this point in the story, the place where things have always gone wrong, something changes. Jesus confronts sin and he's not undone by it. Instead, he takes it on and he defeats it. He overcomes it through his death and resurrection and it is crushed. Its power to separate God from his people is removed utterly. And that's where we are in the story. That brings us up to this moment. And the question that hangs in the air is, what will happen now? We're meant to live with God. The obstacle's been removed. Where will God's presence be? His disciples ask, is this the time when you will establish your kingdom? It seems like this is the moment where um, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess and God will sweep away everything that resists his love and goodness. A time when the temple will no longer be necessary because Jesus will be all in all. But he says, not yet. That day is coming, but right now what's going to happen is this. I'm going to the Father and the Spirit is coming to you. This is a temple moment. In the ascension, Jesus takes humanity in his own body and puts it at the right hand of the Father. In heaven, God and man are reunited. And the corollary of that, it's not unrelated. Again, it's what Jesus said would happen. He says it's causal, is the Holy Spirit is poured out on the church. God and man living together, connected. Heaven and earth drawn together. Jesus isn't leaving us. He's drawing heaven and earth together in this up and down movement of the Son and the Spirit. So friends, where's the temple? It's here. Now, with sin removed, the temple of the living God is not a building. It is his people. It is the body of Christ. It is the community of people who recognize and follow Jesus as king. In his ascension, he is enthroned. In the coming of the Holy Spirit, we are empowered to be the ones who recognize his lordship and follow it. We have become the temple of the living God. We are the place where heaven and earth now have gotten so close together that they overlap. We have become the place where God's kingdom is coming, where his will is done on earth as it is in heaven. Not because we're strong enough or wise enough, not because we're any better than Israel ever was, but by the grace of God through the power of the Holy Spirit in us. We are the temple. Collectively, we are the temple. And individually, as we go out into the world, we're little mini temples moving around wherever we go, taking the presence of God with us. So here's the summary statement and the explanation. The ascension is not about Jesus leaving us. It is about God drawing heaven and earth together, about him making us his temple, the place where he reveals his goodness and presence in the world through our weakness. That's the explanation. Now here's the invitation. What do we do about it? We're going to move from general, what's true for all Christians, too specific. And that's the place where this is the work of the people, where we have to discern an answer to that question personally. 
generally, Jesus makes it really straightforward. He says, look, I'm going up, the Spirit's coming down, so then you will be my witnesses. You will be my witnesses. Witnesses to what? To the truth that Jesus is Lord, that Jesus is King. What's a witness do? A witness isn't necessarily an expert. They don't know everything. They're just reporting what they've seen and heard. They're telling the truth about something they've encountered. So for us to be witnesses means a testifying to the truth that Jesus is Lord. Uh, but we can't testify to that truth if we haven't experienced it, obviously. And so this work of being a witness, of living as the temple of God in the world, is a work of living like Jesus is king in a world where it seems like he isn't. It's living like Jesus is king in a world where it seems like a lot of things are more important, are more powerful. Living in Jesus's ways, the ways of heaven on earth, in a world where a lot of other things seem more practical, more realistic, more effective. This is the way that we live as the temple of God. This is the way that we witnesses, witness to the truth of Christ. I, I, I just realized this uh, a few weeks ago reading, um, but there are very few places in the New Testament uh, where you see the gospel proclaimed verbally, uh, where it's unsolicited. Like almost always, uh, the gospel is proclaimed because somebody asked the question, what's happening? Pretty much every time God has done something by the power of the Spirit through the church and everybody's like, what was that? And then they say, Jesus is Lord. That's the pattern that you see over and over again. The way of, of proclaiming Jesus is Lord is a life lived uh, that really requires an explanation. Like, why would you, why? What's going on? So the people asked, how did all these people get healed? Why, why are you taking care of people who don't deserve it? Why are there so many different kinds of people who normally don't have anything to do with each other living as family now? What, what happened? Uh, why are you praying for your enemies? Uh, why are you grateful when so much seems to be going wrong for you? Uh, why aren't you demanding your rights? Why aren't you afraid? Why aren't you fighting back? And the answer over and over and over again is, Jesus is Lord. Jesus is Lord. Jesus is Lord. Jesus is Lord. So, my loyalties aren't to the powers of this world. They're not to any identity associated with this world. They are to Jesus. I belong to him. Jesus is Lord. So, my hope is not in money or social advancement. It's not even in the progress of our civilization, but it's in Jesus and not just in some sort of disembodied eternal sense. Although, yes, certainly my hope is in Jesus for the afterlife, but my hope is also my trust is that when I live his way in a way that does not make sense in this world, that that is the best path to flourishing, that it is the best path to wholeness, that it is the way, even when it doesn't seem like it makes sense. Jesus is Lord, so we don't need the power that comes from greed or vanity or fear or resentment. And don't get me wrong, real power comes from those things. A lot of stuff gets moved in this world on the basis of that kind of power. But instead, we have the power that comes from the Holy Spirit's presence among us, from the truth 
from suffering love given and received. Jesus Christ is Lord. This is a truth we reveal through our lives, living lives that require an explanation that do not make sense in this world so that we can give the answer, Jesus is Lord. This is how we live as witnesses. This is how we embody our identity as the temple of the living God. And here's what's really cool, I think. Again, this doesn't come out of our power. God does this in our weakness. God begins to reveal himself to the world, to the people around your life, particularly as he starts to bring change and healing to all the broken parts of your life, to all the messed up parts of your story. When we, in concrete ways, start to trust him with the actual, real stuff of our lives, that's where the kingdom becomes visible. That's where the kingdom of God begins to be seen on earth as it is in heaven. And friends, we don't do this to earn anything from God. I'm not saying we have to just be better Christians to make God happy. He's already chosen us. He's already made us the temple. You are the temple. Not you will get to be the temple. You are the temple of the living God. But, and and this isn't something that we sort out um, all at one time, you know, uh, as we follow him. But again, this is the work of the people. So back to what I talked about at the beginning is that day by day and week by week, we learn to submit all the things in our lives, all the broken places, little by little, one at a time, saying yes to whatever he's offering us so that over time we're transformed more and more into his image. And it can seem like dying to do this work because it, it sounds like you know, God wants uh, to be in charge of everything in my life. It's, it's, it feels overwhelming and controlling. But the truth is... Wherever Jesus is Lord, there is salvation. Now, which part of your life do you not want to have healed? (laughs) Which part of your life do you want to have held back from transformation? He wants to come in and change the whole thing from top to bottom. And he wants to do that for us as a community, not just as individuals. And when that happens, the temple shines with a light that the world can see. Begins in our healing And it radiates out. Friends, the truth is, Jesus isn't gone. He's not far away. His presence is alive among us by the power of the Spirit. He's making himself known through our weaknesses. He's allowed us and called us to be his witnesses. And so this is the work of the people. Today and every day, the invitation is to ask the question, where does this get real for me? Where is he inviting me not to just file this truth away, You know, another thing to know, answer to a question on a test, but as gospel truth that I'm confronted with that demands a response. How can I say yes to you, Jesus? How can I say yes to this temple identity? How can I say yes to the truth that you live in me to make yourself known in the world? I'm going to pray, and as I do, and as the service continues, this is our work. This is our work to discern this. This is how it's a two-way street. It's not just the proclamation, but it's our work to respond to the proclamation. Mine too. I can't just say it and leave it alone. I've got to wrestle with it, with the help of the Holy Spirit. So let's do that work together. Lord Jesus, we confess that there's no power in us, no wisdom in us, no goodness in us that will allow us to do this. But you have chosen us, Jesus. You have made us your temple, the place where heaven and earth come together. That's us. 
And Lord, that's hard for us to believe, but it's the witness of Scripture. It's the testimony of the church that you live among us and that we are your chosen vessel for making yourself known in the world. And you're not just using us, Jesus. It is as you bless us and heal us that the world sees who you are. But Lord, we confess we resist your work. We want to do things our way. Today, Jesus, help us to see some concrete place where we can trust you instead of ourselves. I pray that you would make that clear to each of us. By the power of the Spirit, we pray in your name. King Jesus, you are Lord. Amen.